Hey, it's so good to see you again. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for a chance for me to be in your living room. Uh, a question, you know, that I have chewed on for years is this. How are Christ followers different? You know, we all know that if you become a Christian, it, you should be different, but how is it that Christ's followers are supposed to be different? You know, Jesus is abundantly clear that when he calls people to repent, turn from their sin, and believe in the gospel, when he says we're, we're to deny ourselves and lose our lives for his sake and follow him, Jesus is real clear that that's going to bring about a radical change in your life. There's really a clear before and after to people who have come to Christ. They talk about their B.C. days, before Christ, and now that they, they, they have Christ, there's a clear change. Because the reason is that salvation, you know, it's a supernatural thing that happens to us. Our core identity changes. Jesus uses terms like you are born again or born of the Spirit. The Bible says that we are made into new creations. We're made alive spiritually. We become children of God. We are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Now look, these changes that take place at, at salvation are more defining to you and I than our racial identities or even our gender identities. Book of Galatians says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female. We are all one in Christ. And so that kind of change taking place when Jesus calls us to himself is going to be noticeable. It will radically affect how we are, who we are, and how we act. Jesus says that you are a light in the world. Believers are light in the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. Peter says, describes believers as strangers and aliens and exiles in this world, exiled in this world. Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven, and so our time on planet Earth, we're called to be ambassadors to people, calling them to reconcile to God. So we're, 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 we're living in a foreign country here. Paul says that, that our time here, we're blameless children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Jesus says when he calls us to himself, look, he's calling us from the broad road that leads to destruction, and many are traveling to this narrow road that few travel on. So back to my original question. In light of all these things, how exactly then, on a day-to-day -day basis, does it look that Christians or Christ followers are different? We typically think of our how they dress or how a Christian's hairstyle should be or their entertainment choices or their church attendance or they got some secret handshake or language or a political party that you're a part of. By the way, can you identify a true Christ follower by the candidate sign that's posted in their front yard? Well, no. 
I would say, if you can allow me to pause and take a momentary detour, if you haven't heard, there is an election in nine days. As Christ followers in America, we have the unique opportunity and privilege to speak into who our leaders are. And so you got to get out and vote. You know, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2, it says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. So get out and vote for righteous leaders. You say, well, who's that? Well, you got to check it out. you got to check the candidates. What are their positions on the sanctity of life? What are their positions on responding to the cry of the poor? How do they treat aliens or immigrants? And how do they define justice? How do they define love? These are all righteousness issues that God speaks to, important issues. So I encourage you, pray, and then vote and don't stop praying for our leaders in our country. So if Jesus and the scriptures then come and say, you know, Christ's followers are different, then, and how are they different? Well, when you look at what Jesus says and, and, and read through the scriptures, Christ's followers define righteousness, for example, differently. What they call right and wrong is different. Sometimes the world calls wrong right and, and evil good, and so there's a difference. A Christ follower's sexual ethic will be different. Their value system, who and what they truly passionately love, will be different. Their relational practices, how they treat and respond to others, character qualities like love and joy and peace and patience, these are all descriptions of how a Christ follower is different and is going to be very different than those who aren't following Christ. And so today, when we come face to face with Jesus, he's going to point out two very specific and very important ways of how Christ's followers are different. And you're going to notice it's a radical difference. So I want you to tune to Mark chapter 9. And I just want to say that this morning we're going to wrap up our study in the Gospel of Mark. Um, you say, well, we're not done yet. I know we're going to save the rest for another day. But Jesus has invited us in into a private teaching session with his 12 disciples. And so these are some important words and some really powerful words uh, for us this morning. So I want to read in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked his disciples, what were you guys discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. 
And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. And then John, one of the disciples sitting there, said, Well, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. And Jesus said, Don't stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a, a cup of water to drink, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. All right, Christ followers are radically different. First of all, the first thing Jesus points to here in this little teaching time with his disciples is when it, it comes down to your attitude toward others. A Christ follower is going to have a radically different attitude toward other people in their lives. So Jesus pulls them aside in their little face-to-face -face teaching time, and he says, hey, what were you guys arguing about? You know, they're traveling to Capernaum, and Jesus could tell, some of the guys in the back, it's getting heated. <laughs> And, and so he goes, okay, guys, what was the debate about? Well, the disciples are embarrassed. They didn't realize Jesus could hear them because they were embarrassed because they were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. It's a pretty big egos amongst the 12, and Jesus takes the opportunity to define greatness. He goes, all right, you guys want to decide who's the greatest? Let's define greatness greatness and in verse 35 he sits him down and he says if anyone would be first he must be last of all and servant of all so jesus defines greatness this way who is the servant who approaches and has the attitude as he looks toward other people i'm here to serve you this is a radically different relational approach Greatness in God's eyes is not based on your athletic or academic abilities. Greatness is not based on your looks, your beauty, your Twitter followers, your net worth, or your positions of power. It's all based on your attitude and mindset toward others. How you approach all the other people in your lives and God calls greatness those who humbly look to the interests of others and say, how can I serve you? Greatness is not measured by how many people applaud you or how many people you lead or how many people serve you or help you. It's how many people are you serving? And when we serve others, Jesus says, listen, you're really serving God. That's why in verse 37, you receive a child such as this in my name, you receive me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who has sent me. That's what greatness looks like as God sees it. So if you are great, I just want to unpack this a little bit more. Understand that that kind of attitude toward others means, first of all, that you see the value in every person 
Jesus tries to bring this up. See, children weren't that valued in the culture at the time. Women weren't valued. Children weren't valued. And Jesus is going, hey, you want, you want to look at greatness? And he, and he pulls a child in and, and takes the child in his arms. And he asks the question, you know, um, do you value children? Servants see value in every person. So who values the children in our community? Who values and serves the poor? Who serves and values the elderly, the minorities? Jesus would ask about greatness. Do you see value in people who aren't like you? Or maybe even don't go to your church? See, the disciples, John especially, in this conversation, was thinking back on some things and ways he's reacted and thought, uh-oh, I get what Jesus is saying. John, in, in, in verse 38, says, well, well, teacher, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. And Jesus goes, no, right? Because John was like, you know, no, hey, this guy wasn't in our group. He wasn't wearing our T-shirt. He wasn't going to our church. He wasn't singing our songs. And Jesus said, no, look, you value anybody who is serving in my name. Last week, I, I sat down at Brookside Park. Yes, it was cold at the band shell. We sat spread out all over the park there in what some in the community called together as a sacred assembly. And I looked across the group, many of whom I didn't know, and I thought, God, what a beautiful picture of the body of Christ coming together, all different people, different churches across the community, and we came together to pray, to pray for believers living out their lives well, prayed for the students and the next generation in our lives. See, this is a radical attitude when in your life you choose to see everybody differently, you, you value every person. The book of James brings this out in a very, James is like in your face, right? Rubber meets the road kind of guy. In James chapter 2, he says this, my brothers, show no partiality or favoritism. He's confronting this, this idea. Show no partiality or favoritism as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's going, if you're a Christ follower, there's no room in your attitude toward other to devalue people. He says, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and say, hey, come sit over here in a good place, while you say to the poor guy, hey, you stand over there, sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions or discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This is a really powerful passage, especially as it helps us sort through some of the incredible racial tensions and discussions that we face right now. This all comes down to how we value people, right? And James speaks powerfully to this. I'm just going to say this. We don't have time to, un to go into all this, 
but you carefully think through these things. Let me just say a couple things. Listen carefully. It is not a sin to be white. It is not a sin to be in the majority. It is not a sin to be in power. But it is a sin when the powerful oppress the powerless. It is a sin when we subvert justice. It is a sin when you show partiality and do like James says in James 2, 4. I just read it. Have, you know, have you not made distinctions or discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That is what God would call sin. So how are we as Christ followers different? Well, we see value in every person. Jesus says you'll also, if you understand greatness, right, uh, you'll also see meaning in every act. Meaning in every act. This is what Jesus is getting into in verse 39. It says, hey, don't stop this guy who does a mighty work in my name don't stop the guy do, doing those things and then he and he so because the one who is who is not against us is for us and then in verse 41 he says truly i say to you whoever gives you a cup of water to drink i mean talk about a basic thing because you belong to christ will by no means lose his reward so what Jesus is pressing into is he says this in this whole context. He goes, our attitude toward others is to serve. And there is meaning and value in every act of service, whether it's this mighty work of casting out a demon or it's as simple as a cup of cold water. So all of these things are done in Jesus' name. Earlier, Jesus says, if you receive one of these children in my name. So you see what Jesus is pressing into. It's this humble attitude that says, look, anything I can do to serve, it might be some mighty works, what we would call mighty works. It might be as simple as a cup of water or welcoming a child. These things are all significant and are great things in the eyes of God. So that means children's ministries and Ashland Christian School are very, very meaningful things as we minister to children and value children and serve children. Pure joy here at Grace. Some of you during COVID got involved in giving some kids in the community haircuts. We get, and you've been involved in getting meals to people in the community. Foster care ministries, Ashland Christian Health Center, um, community service agencies here in our county. Many of you are involved in those. Many of you are employed in these agencies. And you come alongside moms who are in danger, families who are in crisis, the poor who are in need of food. These are all meaningful acts in Jesus' name that he sees as greatness. Some of you this week did the simple thing of handing candy out at the trunk or treat in the name of Jesus. So greatness, in God's eyes, as a Christ follower, is an attitude, it's an outlook that says, I'm here to serve, 
any way that I can in the name of Christ. It's just who I am. Now, the disciples had a lot of trouble with this. The disciples really struggled with these things. They had difficulty with their attitude adjustment and what it really looked like to be a Christ follower. This topic right here was an ongoing debate amongst the disciples. Their egos and greatness and power was something that they, they had to process. In fact, this discussion happens in Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10. These guys are going to be fighting about this all the way to the Last Supper, by the way. In Mark chapter 10, uh, James and John come to, come to Jesus and say, listen, teacher, uh, we want you to do something for us. And Jesus says, what? Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And so... These two disciples come up to Jesus. So, you know, you're handing out positions. You know, hey, can, can you give us a, a seat in the cabinet here? And Jesus goes, you have no idea what you're asking. And then Jesus sits down with them and says, you know that those who are considered rulers in the Gentiles, the pagans, they lord it over those. See, people in power who are not Christ followers, they lord it over those people. And their great ones exercise authority over them, Jesus says. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is a radical life change, a radical attitude change, a way in which Christ followers are distinctly different, and that is this, their whole attitude toward others. They value every person, and they move out into all their relationships asking the question, how can I love you in the name of Jesus? How can I serve you? It's just like our mission statement says. We love God and love others by revealing the life-giving grace of Jesus, and this love inspires everything that we do. This is the mindset and the attitude of a true Christ follower. Well, the second very different and radical uh, way of looking at life that Jesus prescribes to the disciples is this. It's your attitude toward sin. Your attitude toward sin. Hang on. In these next verses, you may be surprised to hear Jesus talk like this. Uh, verse 42. Who, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to, if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand, he's talking to the 12, the 12 disciples, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, so cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, 
tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. <laughs> I'm just quoting Jesus. <laughs> and you go, whoa. We're surprised. Jesus doesn't get quoted much here. It is shocking, these are radical statements. Now, we don't have time to unpack all that he's saying here, but I want to make two points. A lot of things in here get debated and everything. Hey, there's two points here that are perfectly clear. Let's sit on those. The first one is this. Jesus thinks that sin is serious. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones, these believers, a young believer, whoever causes one of them to sin, man, hang a millstone around their neck and drown them. You go, whoa. Whatever causes you to sin, over and over, whatever causes you to sin, man, it's your hand or your eye or whatever, your foot, cut it off, cut it off. I mean, these are radical responses. And again, Jesus is talking to believers his 12 disciples those who are forgiven he's talking to believers here those of us who are forgiven christ followers who we still in this life before we get to heaven will be fighting sin in our lives the apostle paul in romans chapter 7 when he's in the recognizing this fight he says wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death so your attitude towards sin is different. It's serious. So is Jesus actually calling us to literally dismember ourselves? Well, no. But what he is saying is if you're a believer, a Christ follower, you must take decisive action steps to cut off any practices in your life that draw you into sin. Activities you participate in, entertainment and media you expose yourself to, relationships that you are involved in, these things, if they draw you in, cause you to sin, Jesus says, you got to take this serious. you got to rip it out of your life. you got to cut it out of your life. You need to take sin more seriously, he said. In Romans chapter 8, Paul, in his discussion on sin in verse 13 has this powerful phrase. He says, if by the Spirit of God who lives in every believer, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit that lives in every believer gives you, gives us the power to say no to sin and temptations towards sin. And Paul said, man, take that, kill it, Kill that sin. John Piper um, has spoken on this topic in this passage, and he says there's a violent streak in the Christian life, in true Christian life. And then he says, now look, we got to be careful to define whom or what we must war violently against. 
Jesus isn't calling us to war against the Muslims or atheists or your spouse, but we must make war against our sin. This is Jesus' point. Too often I'm afraid that we think, well, my sin's not that bad. It's not hurting anybody else. Nobody's perfect. It's really not that serious, is it? Johnny Erickson Tata, I heard her say one time, and I never forgot it. She says, sometimes we coddle our housebroken sins. Listen, how seriously would you take cancer in your body? Doctor says, yeah, we've tested it, you've got cancer. How serious do you want him to take that? You say, well, man, it's serious. I, I want him to, to radiate it. I want, it. I want to run the chemo through my brains and kill it. I, I want you to cut the cancer out. And you don't care. You know what? Well, it may leave you scarred. It may leave you disfigured. It may leave you less mobile in your life. And you say, so what? I want to live. That's exactly the same attitude that Jesus says we need to take toward the sin in our lives that, that in our members tempts us and draws us away. Why? Sin steals your joy. Sin will steal your sweet fellowship and satisfaction with Jesus. Sin will steal your peace. It will enslave you. It will destroy your life. It will numb your soul as a believer. And so rip it out of your life. Kill it, Jesus says. Cut it off. Take this seriously. Well, you go, wow, that's a little different attitude that a person has towards sin. That's right. That's how a Christ follower sees it. Jesus says three times in this short number of verses, three times, Jesus says it's better for you to enter life in the kingdom of God, maimed, crippled with one eye, than to be thrown into hell. Now those who are thrown into hell understand the issue there is they never took their sin seriously. They never took seriously, those who get thrown into hell, Jesus was, never took the call of Jesus seriously. He, he came and his call was repent of your sin, turn of your sin and believe in him. They never took Jesus' death on the cross for themselves seriously. What's going on on the cross? Payment for sin. This is serious. Look at the wrath of God being poured out on Christ. People who are thrown into hell never took the offer of salvation seriously. So really, if we looked at two very clear and maybe surprising statements that Jesus makes in this section, the first is sin is serious, and the second one is that hell is real. I mean, it's obvious listening to Jesus that he believed this was a real place the real people went to. Now, there's plenty of opinions out there about hell. Ask lots of, lots of people have opinions about hell, whether it's real, whether it is really a place that, that there is, what it's like. Many people, many, many people, they just can't believe that a loving God would send anyone to a place like that. 
Some believe that there's second chances after death. You know, Jesus, what did Jesus think? (laughs) Jesus taught that we are eternal spiritual beings having a temporary earthly experience. He's very clear that there is the conscience existence of the dead. You will have a conscious existence into eternity after your funeral. And the conscience existence Jesus described is in one of two places, heaven and hell. In Matthew chapter 25, as he's discussing the future judgment and the day he would return and judge the world, he says in Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Verse 41, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is Jesus' words. He says then in Matthew 25, verse 46, as he wraps up that conversation, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus is very clear about the eternal destiny of every human being, of being either an eternal death or eternal life. Jesus would say hell is real. Maybe you, maybe you recognize this sculpture. You probably do. You can see it there on your screen. You probably even know the title of this one. It's called The Thinker. That wasn't the original title, but it's known now as The Thinker. It's by a French sculptor named Rodin. You ever wonder, ask yourself the question, what's the thinker thinking about? <laughs> you say, well, I don't know. Well, the original, the original setting and context for the thinker was a larger work from Rodin that is called The Gates of Hell. Notice as you see this work of art that at the top of the picture is the thinker, and he is looking down over hell, and he is contemplating heaven and hell and the eternal destiny of all mankind. So, Jesus is very clear that that this radical call and life to be a Christ follower is going to be very different. It'll be a narrow path that few travel. So how is it different? Well, two very important specific ways. One is your attitude toward others. How you view others is very different. You see value in every person. And out of the love that God puts in your heart, you love them and you say, how can I serve you? Christ's followers also have a very different and radical attitude towards sin. They take it seriously. They draw on the power of the Spirit of God in their lives and take whatever steps needed to eradicate it, to kill it, to cut it out of their lives because they want to live 
They want to know the joy in life and live a life that glorifies and represents Jesus Christ. I would close and ask you, if you're not a believer today, and maybe you have never seen the seriousness of your sin before a holy God and the realities of hell. I have really good news for you. Jesus came for you. He came to deal with your problem, our problem of sin and the need to be reconciled with God. And the beautiful thing about Christ's life and death and resurrection is this. In John 5, 24, these are Jesus' words, truly, truly. In other words, he looks at you and says, listen, I'm telling you the truth. You can bank on it. These are the words from God himself. Truly, truly, he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Listen, today, if you hear Jesus' words, trust him. Turn from your sin. Repent of it and say, Jesus Christ, I believe you died for my sin. Please forgive me. Reconcile me to God. And I want you to make me pass from death into life. And so when the day comes and you face the judgment, Jesus will say, I have her covered. I have him covered. He, she is mine. If you have any questions about these things, I want to pray with somebody about these things. Please, you can text Text the word Jesus to the number you see there on the screen. Contact us any way you can here at Grace. We'd love to talk to you about these things. Jesus, thank you for your words and who you were and how we've been able to come face to face with you in the Gospel of Mark. May we never be the same as a result of our encounter with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.